going to read the following from a, a book. It's a fictional work that an author um, depicted uh, a literal spiritual battle between an angel and a demon. Uh, the angel's name is Tal, and the demon's name is Rafar. And these guys are flying through the air, um, going through walls, that sort of thing, just to help you visualize. Rafar darted and weaved all over the sky, still trailing a stream of red smoke from his wound. With that telltale marker, it was easy to follow him, and Tal kept up the chase unrelentingly. Rafar sped toward a very large warehouse several blocks away. He shot through the outside wall at about the third floor, and Tal dove into the building after him. This floor was open, with no places to hide. Rafar dove immediately to a lower floor, and Tal followed that trail of smoke. The gray concrete floors came up at them. Tal came out on the first floor and could see the smoke trail veering off sideways and corkscrewing through the distant wall. He shot after it. The wall slapped around him as he passed through. Ah! Impaled! A burning edge cut through his side. He spun and spun from the impact, and the sword went flying from his hand. He tumbled to the floor, doubled up with pain. There stood Rafar, bent and wounded, his back against the wall. Tal had just come through. He had been waiting in ambush. The tip of his ugly sword was still draped with part of Tal's tunic. No time to think. No time to feel pain. Tal dove for his fallen sword. Crash! Rafar's sword came down with a shower of sparks. Tal rolled and fluttered out of the way. The big red sword ripped through the air again, and the keen edge whistled just over Tal's head. Tal clapped his wings and jerked sideways several feet. Whoosh! That horrible sword sliced the air with brilliant red streaks. Rafar's eyes turned from yellow to red. His mouth frothed with putrid foam. The huge wings roared, and Rafar came at Tal like a pouncing cat. His powerful arm raised that blade to strike again. Tal lurched forward and ducked under Rafar's raised arm, his head butting into Rafar's chest. The sulfur exploded from those huge lungs as Tal spun around Rafar's body and beyond the tip of that red blade as it slashed through the air. This was what Tal needed. He was now between Rafar and his fallen sword. He dove at it, grabbed it, and turned. Clang! The blade of hell came down upon Tal's sword with a flash of fire. They faced each other, swords held ready. Rafar was grinning. So now, captain of the host, we are alone together and evenly matched. I am opened and you are opened. Shall we assail each other for another 23 days? <laughs> we will be finished long before that, eh? Tal said nothing. This was Rafar's way. Cutting words were part of his strategy. The swords met again, and again. An envelope of darkness began to fill the room. Rafar's creeping, growing evil. Is the light fading? Rafar sneered. Perhaps it is your strength we now see, ebbing away. Saints of God, where are your prayers? Another blow, Tal's shoulder. He returned with a swipe that caught Rafar under the ribs. The air was filling with darkness, with red vapor and smoke. Several more clashes of the fiery blades, ripping hides, tearing garments. More darkness. Saints, pray. Pray! How'd you like to be one of his kids and having him read to you at night? <laughs> Could 
have heard a pin drop in here. I love it, thanks. Somewhere back in the late 1980s, This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti took the Christian world by a storm. Christians from every branch of the church began to read and pass that book on to their friends and family, to their colleagues, and even to their pastors. I heard that leaders in major Christian record companies passed the book around to their staff and recording artists as almost required reading. Reports from believers and non-believers alike began to filter through the church testifying that after reading that book, people's prayer lives was dramatically, dramatically affected. The saints began to pray like never before. Attention to the spiritual warfare that we faced had been sparked. Now, although this present darkness is not, nor was it ever meant to be a doctrinal treatise on prayer... It's obviously a novel. It nevertheless inspired many to revive and reorder the priority of prayer in their life. It did mine when I first read it. And many others I know. It brought clarity and it brought color to the imagery of what Paul describes at the end of Ephesians chapter 6 as our most powerful and sustaining resource in the pursuit of gaining the spiritual strength of the Lord throughout the course of our warfare. I'd like to remind you of Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And let's re-familiarize ourselves with the text at hand, which is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, Paul writes. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Friends, prayer is the means by which the people of God triumph over evil. Prayer empowers us against impenetrable odds. Last week, as we went through the various pieces of spiritual armor, our arsenal, which equips us and enables us to wage this spiritual war we find ourselves in, I outlined them by asking a series of questions that we all must address. Let me review them. Am I sincere about dealing with this battle spiritually? Am I living a lifestyle that enables me to engage in this spiritual warfare? 
Am I prepared to stand? Am I able to defend myself against the enemy? Have I learned the art of street warfare? And as I pointed out last time, there is one more piece of protection, one more resource that gives us the strength to endure. It's not visible, yet it renders us invincible. It's not really listed here in this text by Paul as part of the coat of armor because it is so much more than that. It's not merely another piece of equipment. Rather, prayer is our sustenance. As John MacArthur says, prayer is the very spiritual air that the soldier of Christ breathes. It is the all-pervasive strategy in which warfare is fought. So the final and ultimate question that we must ask in regard to this text is simply this. Do I know how to prevail in warfare? Do you know? Now the answer to that question is pivotal in the midst of spiritual battle. That's why I believe it is Paul's final exhortation, not only to believers in Ephesus, but in every place, in every age, until Christ returns. Prevailing in the fight requires persistence in prayer. Again, verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now we prevail in this fight by using what I want to call the high five of prayer. Okay? You can remember it that way. Five alls of prevailing prayer. Even though you'll only find the word in the New American Standard, all, four times in this text, I believe a fifth one is implied. What are the fives, five alls of prevailing prayer listed in verse 18? First, we must in all ways pray. That's variety. At all times, that indicates frequency. With all power, that indicates dependency in the Spirit. Until all is accomplished, that indicates tenacity. And for all the saints, that indicates solidarity. Solidarity. But how can we do it, you ask? We don't have the time. But friends, let me suggest to you as gently as I know how that it's not about time, it's about training. It's about training. It's about mentally training ourselves to realize that praying is like breathing. Someone once said, it takes no time, but it occupies all of our time. Right? It takes no time but it occupies all of our time. Folks, we cannot afford to let down our guard. Prayer is both our offense and our defense. If I were to liken it to a weapon, if I were to liken it to a weapon, I would describe it as the broadsword of our armor. The broadsword of our armor. 
Prayer, like a broadsword, takes two hands to wield, a strong stance to stabilize, a keen eye to strike, and a tireless spirit to endure. It takes all of our being to effectively use it. It takes effort to swing this kind of a sword, but it accomplishes so much in the process. James reminded us that the effective prayer of a righteous man or woman or church or child, for that matter, can accomplish what? Much. It can accomplish much. Paul says, wield this broad sword of prayer, first of all, in all ways. In all ways. A variety of ways. Paul uses two distinct words here in this, in this verse, which both refer to prayer, yet have very different nuances. The word translated prayer here in this verse simply refers to prayer in the form of general requests. The second word, translated in my Bible as petitions, on the other hand, connotes requests that are specific in nature. Very specific. Paul is saying pray generally, pray specifically. In all ways. In a variety of ways. If I were pressed to try to explain why Paul uses these two words in such close proximity to each other, I would say that he is telling us to pray in every possible way that we can. In private and in public. With family and alone. In silent meditation as well as through public proclamation. Now let me say something here. I just want to urge you guys in a way that may be uncomfortable for some of you. All of us probably pray in silence in our own spirits, don't we? If you're a Christian, you probably do that. But there is another aspect of praying in all ways and in a variety of ways, and that's praying corporately and publicly. There is an aspect of it. And some of us don't engage in that aspect of it. And God may be calling you and stretching you in that aspect of it. I just want to throw that out to you so that you will think about what is God leading me to do? When you're in your small group and you don't really like the idea of speaking out loud, trust me, I know what that feels like. You may not think so because I'm a pastor and I preach all the time. But trust me, before I came to Christ... I didn't want to speak in a room full of five people, never mind a room full of a hundred or two hundred or three hundred. But God may be stretching you in this aspect because people are blessed when you pray. People are blessed when you pray. And not only that, but the intercession that takes place there brings you into a place that goes outside of yourself for others. And we're going to get to that in a little while. Prayer and petitions in private and in public, at mealtimes and during hard times, in good times and in bad, with others as our focus and for ourselves when we are in need. We must pray when we're peaceful and at war, in symphony with the church 
and in our solitary confinement, so to speak, in our prayer closet. We pray in whispers, in desperate crying, on our knees, and when we drive. There are a variety of forms of prayer in the Old Testament and New Testament. Different occasions, different reasons for it, purposes, postures, but one thing is very certain. We can pray wherever we are and whatever the situation. Is that right? When it comes to prayer, I want you to memorize two key words. Say them with me. The first one is this. Whenever and whatever. Whenever and whatever. That's all you need to know. If you and I ever expect to prevail over the adversary, we must become warriors in prayer. Every conquering Christian in every generation, wrote Layman Strauss, has been a prayer warrior. The enemy watches for prayerlessness in our lives and then he takes advantage of us with that, through that. We must be constantly in prayer because we are constantly in danger. Believe that? 1992, Richard Foster published a book entitled Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. Fascinating book. Excellent treatise on prayer. I, I highly encourage you to get a hold of that book if you're confused about prayer and read it. It's very to the point, very understandable, very eye-opening. Prayer, the heart's true, Finding the Heart's True Home by Richard Foster. He identifies and explores at least 21 different types of prayer in this book. But you didn't know there were that many types. There's probably even more than that. And this is by no means exhaustive. You might be asking yourself, how could there possibly be that many different kinds of prayer? But stop a minute. Just think for a minute. Let me ask you how many different times and how many different ways you breathe in a lifetime. Think about that. Your breathing fluctuates in countless ways depending upon the climate. Is that right? Your energy level. The clarity of your sinuses or lungs. Whether you are in the woods or in the city. Am I right? You breathe differently. When it's hot and humid or when it's cold and dry. You can take deep cleansing breaths or you can pant like crazy. Ask any woman having a baby and she'll know the difference between those two. <laughs> you couldn't possibly exhaust the variety of ways you and I breathe, but we all agree on one key thing. If you and I stop breathing, we die. Right? If a man can't breathe, he can't fight. That's the point spiritually. Prayer is breathing. When you stop praying, you begin to die spiritually. What commonly happens with us is that we pray only when we think it's necessary. But in Luke chapter 18, in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that at all times we ought to pray and not lose heart. Right? 
Jesus spelled it out in plain talk. Prayer should always be our fixed resolve rather than our last resort. Let me say that again. Prayer should always be our fixed resolve rather than our last resort. Why? Because prevailing prayer brings perpetual power. As I previously said, this is not an age to be left unprotected. Is that right? You and I must pray. Not because we've tried everything else and nothing else works. That's prayer as a last resort. But because without it, we will not survive. That's prayer as a fixed resolve. Henry Nguyen wrote, whenever you feel a little prayer can't do any harm, you'll find that it can't do much good either. Prayer has meaning only if it is necessary and indispensable. Prayer is prayer only when we say that without it, a person could not live. Paul says, pray in all ways, and secondly, at all times, indicating frequency. Let me ask you a question. When do you pray? Rhetorical question. You don't have to answer me. But think about it. When do you pray? Let me guess. When you wake up in the morning, before you go to sleep at night, and oh yeah, in conjunction with every meal, right? Gee, that sounds more like a plan for brushing your teeth than engaging in prayer. Doesn't it? Fact is, we need to pray at all times. And in every way. In Jesus' day, the Jews had prescribed times each day when they would pray. Jesus, however, brought an entirely new paradigm to the table when he arrived on the scene. As he taught about the last days when evil would increase, when people's love would grow cold, and the Father would judge those who dwell on the face of the earth, he said these words, Jesus said, keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things which are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's Luke 21, 36. Listen to what David wrote in the Psalms about prayer. Psalm 55. It'll be on the screen behind me. But I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. When he says evening, morning, and noon, I don't think he's necessarily describing times to pray. I think what he's saying is all day long. All day long I pray. I cry out, and he hears my voice. See, the early church had a good handle on the necessity of prayer. Acts chapter 2 says that they continually devoted themselves to it. And why don't we? I remember years ago on a couple of different occasions when someone collapsed during a service, just like this on a Sunday morning. Immediately, we as a church went to prayer. We stopped what we were doing and we went directly to prayer for the person that had collapsed. And that's good. Amen? Wouldn't you say that's good? You say, oh, duh. Why wouldn't you do that? It emerged because we were faced with an impossible situation, which we had no understanding in. But when was the last time that you were faced 
with an impossible situation or were a part of prayer that was happening like that? When was the last time? For some of you, it's been recent. For some of you, it may, it may be years. Do you do that kind of prayer in your home? In your small group? Every single day, you and I are faced with impossible situations. Is that right? We're just under the self-deception that we're not. That we think we can handle our lives. But if God drew back the curtain and showed you what was really going on, I think we'd have a different view. Don't you? Hence, Paul's exhortation to pray at all times, in all ways. See, when the church, as well as individual Christians, don't realize this, what happens is we get lazy and we don't pray. We send our kids off to school unprotected. We leave our marriages unguarded. We start the day spiritually undernourished and we wonder why there's no power in our spiritual lives. Someone has said that the church will die on its feet unless it's living on its knees. And it's kind of true. Satan laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to just give you a few verses of Scripture to show how the early church thought this, this was so important. Acts chapter 6, verse 4 um, says this, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, said Peter. He says, we're going to put you guys in charge of doing the work of the ministry because we, as elders of the church, need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Paul saw the importance of prayer. And then Charlie made reference to one this morning in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul again says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Are you committed to those truths? Leonard Ravenhill, not one to mince words, once said, Tithes will build a church, but tears will give it life. Brethren, let us pray. Did you know that the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, pastored by Jim Cimbala, has a prayer ministry that goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It never stops. There's a prayer meeting going on round the clock all the time. And I've used it. People are praying around the clock every day. You know what they call it? They call it their prayer band. We have worship bands. They have a prayer band. They have a prayer band. It's a ministry dedicated to intercessory prayer. A group of prayer band members pray continuously for requests that come either through prayer request cards, the mail, email, or via the telephone. 
Each request is prayed over for a period of 30 days. In fact, go to their website. At the bottom of the page, on their opening page of their website, there is a ticker tape that flows underneath their web, their web page, showing, scrolling through the prayer requests that come in so that you can pray. And when you click on one, it opens up so that you can see the greater details to pray for. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Here is a regiment of soldiers who are tirelessly waging the spiritual war with their broadswords ablaze. And it's through their example, by the way, that we began our prayer ministry team on Sunday mornings during the sermon time. How many of you sitting out there now know that we have a team that sits in the back room and prays during our services? How many of you didn't know that? Well, obviously, the ones that didn't raise your hands. But the, the fact is, is that it seems to have diminished in its size quite a bit over the years since we started it to just a handful of committed people. Let me ask you, have you noticed the amount of spiritual oppression that's overtaken the world as of late? You feel it? I do. How about in your own life, maybe, personally speaking? Are you taking hits for the kingdom of God? Some people are. But I also have noticed that when the people of this church have rallied together in prevailing prayer, there is a power, there is a peace of heart and mind that empowers people to endure through whatever it is that they're doing or going through. And we see life change as a result of it. Prayer works. The effective prayer of a righteous man or a woman or a church avails much. As a result of all of that, people still make commitments to Christ. People still want to live for Christ. They're still believing that Jesus is the answer to their deepest spiritual needs. And it all is the result of people going to battle in prayer. What we need to start doing more, however, is what the Brooklyn Tabernacle did in its early years. They began to see themselves as a, quote, Holy Ghost emergency room, unquote. Holy Ghost emergency room where people in spiritual trauma could be rescued. Do you see yourself that way? Because I guarantee you there's somebody in your office or there's somebody in your family or there's somebody you're going to meet today when you walk out of this room that is going to have something going on in their life. And if you're spiritually sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you have boldness and you step up to the plate and say, I would like to pray for you, and you just take one minute to pray for them, I'll guarantee if you start doing that in people's lives, you're going to see change, not just in their lives, but in your own life. Big time change. View yourself as a Holy Ghost emergency room. I've been really sensitive to this since I've started this series. You know, because a lot of times I'll be talking to people and I'll, I'll hear that little whisper of the Spirit telling me, stop right now, put your hand on that person's shoulder and pray for them. And you know what I'll say? I'll rationalize in my mind. They're going to think I'm crazy. Now, they're going to stop the conversation right here, right now and pray for somebody. 
I mean, you really want me to do that, Lord? Is that not even your voice? You think Satan would want you to stop and pray for someone? I mean, let's be rational about this. Logical. We make all the excuses in the world, and I do them too. It's because we don't see ourselves as a Holy Ghost emergency room. Andrew Bonar wrote in 1853, God likes to see his people shut up to this, that there is no hope but in prayer. Herein lies the church's power against the world, the broadsword of prayer. Prayer is to the battle as a broadsword is to a warrior. Without it, you're wide open to the enemy. Pray then, Paul says, in all ways and at all times, and thirdly, with all power. Paul says in verse 18 here of Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit. In the Spirit, with all power, indicating dependency. We are to pray in dependence upon the Spirit of God. Amen? I agree with the commentator who said that if we are not praying in the Spirit, we had better not pray at all because it's nothing, it's nothing but words, empty words at that. To pray in the Spirit does not mean to speak in tongues here, by the way. So get that right out of your mind. That's not what Paul's talking about. It means to pray an entire submission to the Spirit of God in total humility. Humility. Total humility. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It means to pray an entire submission to the Spirit of God. It is to pray in the attitude of Jesus who said in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet not what I will, but what thou will. It's to pray, so to speak, with entire abandon, abandoning ourselves to God's will. It's to recognize with complete confidence that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. That's why Paul goes on to say in Romans 8.28, after these verses... That no matter what happens, God is working everything for good. Right? For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Here's the deal. God has no process without good as his purpose. That's precisely why Jesus, in his human agony, could entrust himself to the Father's will in 1 Peter chapter 2. In the movie First Night, Lancelot is introduced as a skillful warrior who makes his living by wielding the sword against the best fighter in each town. If you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it kind of opens the movie. In one town, his opponent, after losing the challenge, approaches Lancelot and asks if he could ever learn to fight with such skill. Lancelot shares his threefold secret, and this is it. Every man, he says, first of all, has a weak spot. You must keenly observe his movements and discern what is immediately 
what it is immediately, what that weak spot is. And the other man replies to him, I can do that. Secondly, he says you must learn to wait and strike at just the right moment. I can do that, he says. And after pausing a little bit, Lancelot concludes. Thirdly, he says, and you must care not whether you live or die. Did you get that? To pray in the Spirit with all power is to give yourself so totally to the will of God in this spiritual battle that no matter what the outcome is, you know that you can trust him to do what is good and best for you. You must approach it caring not whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, whether you live or whether you die. Are you willing to pray like that? Because that's a tall order. And that's what it means to pray in the Spirit with all power. That's the attitude of a spiritual, true spiritual warrior. It's the attitude Paul himself exhibited as a good soldier and prisoner for the sake of Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, if you want to follow along with me. You might want to mark this out in your Bible because it's an attitude that we really need to adopt. I'm going to read it to you out of the uh, New Century Version. Philippians 1, 19 and 21 says, Because you are praying for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ is helping me, I know this trouble will bring my freedom. Because you're praying for me. I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything, but that I will have the courage now, as always, to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. To me, the only important thing about living is Christ and dying would be profit for me. The most dangerous man or woman on the earth, wrote one man, is the man or woman who has reckoned with his own death. That's the most dangerous person on the earth. So we must pray in all ways, at all times, with all power, and fourthly, until all is accomplished. With all perseverance, it says. That indicates tenacity. See, we need to have this long view, this long view of this war, and keep on praying, keep staying alert, don't fall asleep, be watchful, be devoted to it, on top of it, no matter how long it takes. And sometimes, friends, it takes a long, long time long time. Some of you may have children that have gone AWOL from the faith and you've been praying a long time. Don't give up praying. Keep at it until one of two things happens. Either that child turns back or you go to the grave. But don't stop praying. That means that we need to not only continue in our commitment to pray in the back offices every Sunday, but to multiply our forces. 
again. Is God asking you to be part of that prayer band? Because we can't let up. We need to be praying all the time, in every way, with all power, until all is accomplished. Let me ask you, which of these terms would describe your prayer life and your prayer experience on a regular basis? Which of these three words? You jot it down on the back of your bulletin. All three of them, and then you circle the one that you think would describe you. Wakeful? Watchful or weary? Maybe you're all three. Are problems creeping into your life? Because when prayer falters, problems flourish. It's a pretty simple principle. Jesus may be challenging us here and here's my paraphrase of Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 to 41. This is Jesus. If you look those verses up, he's challenging his disciples, but I'm going to paraphrase it because he may be challenging you and me. I know he's challenging me. And Jesus comes to us and he says, What? What? Can't you stick it out with me even for one hour? One hour. Keep watching, keep praying so that you won't enter into temptation. You say that you're willing, but you tire of it so easily. This is what I'm hearing, right, as I'm preparing this. Spiritual drowsiness opens the gate to the enemy. Spiritual drowsiness opens the gate to the enemy. We must stay the course. It's so, so important. We're so intentional about our music and our teaching here, aren't we? So intentional about that, those ministries, and our children's ministries. We stand a little taller and smile a little bigger when people comment about how God has blessed us in these areas in our church, and he has. But I wonder how we would react to Jesus if he physically walked in the back door this morning and asked us about our commitment to the ministry of prayer. Well, how would we respond to him? Because you know, the Bible never records the 12 ever asking Jesus to teach them how to preach. Never do we find that. They never asked him for lessons on how to worship. We don't find that in the scripture. But they did make one emphatic request in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. They came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. The early church father, Origen, once said, the whole life of the faithful should be one great connected prayer. One great connected prayer. I love that picture. You know, because it kind of shatters all the thoughts you might have of going to a prayer meeting or doing these formalized types of things. One great connected prayer. Is your life one great connected prayer? My friends, that's the real point of all of this. Jesus wants to develop in us a passion for tireless communion with God. We must keep asking. We must keep seeking. We must keep knocking. 
tirelessly, without wavering, without getting discouraged, even when the answers don't seem to come, because Jesus always answers prayer. It may be a no, or it may be a yes, or it may be a, you just wait and see what I do, but he always answers prayer. The biblical word for that is supplication, petition. It means to ask with earnestness, with intensity, with perseverance. It is, according to one writer, a declaration that we are dead serious about this prayer business. We're going to keep at it and we're not going to give up. And the biblical authors were extremely vocal about the prevailing practice of prayer. Pray without ceasing, wrote Paul to the Thessalonians, right? Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, Paul says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayer. Romans chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. He says, work hard and do not be lazy. Serve the Lord with a heart full of devotion. Let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient in your troubles and pray at all times. Great British pulpiteer Charles Spurgeon once said in a sermon, quote, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he not be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer, unquote. And Samuel Chadwick said years ago that the greatest answer to prayer is more prayer. See, prayer fosters more prayer. Daniel chapter 10 Verse 2, we find that Daniel prayed and fasted for three weeks, but the results weren't immediately apparent to him. However, later he learned that his prayer had been effective in prevailing against the spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places. Listen to what Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 to 6. Listen to these words. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with the belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was also like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His eyes, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, from, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with, no, with, with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. Verse 18, Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O oh man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And he said, Do you understand why I came to you? 
But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. It sounds out of Daniel like the real version of the excerpt that Alec read this morning, doesn't it? This concept of prevailing prayer is foundational to real effectiveness because we don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm when we pray. Do you have staying power in your prayer life? Do you exhibit determined persistence and tenacity in your prayers? Do I? How easily do we lose heart? In the book of Leviticus, Chapter 6, Aaron was commanded to keep the fire burning continually on the altar as a priest. It was to never go out. Paul's encouragement to us today is very similar. He says, keep the eternal flame of prayer burning on the altar of your faith. Don't ever let it go out. Oswald Chambers referred to this as the discipline of spiritual tenacity. Do you have it? You know, when I think of... Spiritual tenacity, my mind goes to Nehemiah chapter 4 when they were building the wall. In Nehemiah 4 verses 15 to 18 talks about the fact that they had to build the wall. They were so attacked by their enemies that they, they dug with one hand and then they had their sword girded to their side in the other. They were always ready to fight at any moment. And Paul's call, call to arms for us at the conclusion of this text is to remain spiritually tenacious. By praying in all ways, at all times, with all power, until all is accomplished, and to diligently pray, fifthly, the final thing, for all the saints. And this indicates solidarity. Again, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints... And pray on my behalf, he says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Listen to a line that I read some years ago concerning this. The man wrote, The devil's victories in other lands are sometimes caused by our prayerlessness here at home. I bet you our missions teams would say, Thank you. And they have said thank you for our prayers while they're gone. Because they know that that statement is true. See, would any of us deny that a huge chunk of our prayer life is missing if we're not praying for all the saints? He's talking about intercessory prayer here. The hard work of praying for other people. I don't mean little arrow prayers shot up to God in the five or ten seconds after you get a prayer request online. I'm talking about some serious intercession. And I need to admit to you that this type of long-suffering in prayer is not one of my strong suits. This is something I have to work on constantly because it takes a lot of time and a ton of discipline and we're not always quick to engage in that kind of thing. Having said that, I'm also convinced that some people are actually called to this kind of ministry above and beyond what Paul is talking about here. This is a gift for them. 
It's their calling. They're like the Green Berets of prayer, special forces, right? I, I know a few of these people. But the ones I, you know, not a lot of them, but the ones that I do know are ruthless when it, when it comes to interceding on another's behalf. I mean, they're not sleeping for multiple nights on end while they're on the alert praying. They're literally dropping off their feet at the end of the week, not because they've partied too heavy or hiked too many mountains or run too many miles. It's because God the Holy Spirit wakes them up in the middle of the night and says, hey, and he says their name. Joe needs you to pray for him right now. Sally needs help, but she can't seem to pray. So I want you to be her mouth. Talk to me. Plead with me on their behalf. I want you involved in this. Some of you understand what I'm talking about, don't you? Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's a tough calling. People like this know what it's like to be spiritually exhausted and battle fatigued. And I want to say to you right now that if you know one of these spiritual warriors in prayer, these mighty warriors, someone who labors in this kind of prayer, you need to take them aside and thank God profusely for them. Because you might be the subject of their next all-nighter. Yeah? Maybe. Maybe. So I want to go on record this morning that those of you that are out there that resonate with what I'm saying, you know who you are, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for standing in the gap. Because that's what the Bible refers to it as in Ezekiel chapter 22. Standing in the gap. And I just want to read you this text. And we're winding down, so don't worry. Ezekiel 22. Verses 23 and following. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. Speaking of Israel. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. They have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not even spoken. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. Sounds like the world around us. Then he says, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. What a sad ending to that verse. I have found no one. Ultimately, there was a man and still is who stands in the gap. He is the God-man Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession 
for us. Hebrews 7, 20, 25. You know, Moses was that kind of an intercessor. Pleading with God for constantly for a bunch of obstinate people. In one vignette, we find him on the mountainside and Aaron and Hur had to hold up his hands, right? Because he, had, he grew so weary in it. What Moses was to the nation of Israel and what Aaron and Hur were to Moses, so Paul exhorts us to be for each other. Whether you're called to be the main intercessor or merely support staff holding up their arms, praying for others is critically important to the outcome of the battle. Critically important. And ultimately we know that Jesus is the one who always stands in the gap for us. Interestingly enough, and, and you're going to think this is crazy, but it's absolutely not crazy, and I'm not making this up for dramatic purposes. This is God. This is God bringing this to light. Right in the middle of, of preparing this section of my message this week on intercessory prayer. I'm not kidding you. I had just finished reading a verse on it that I've already quoted today. The phone rings. And it's a woman in our church. She says, I know you're speaking on spiritual warfare, particularly on prayer this week. I want to tell you what happened to me. She called me on Wednesday. And she said she felt, had fallen asleep at about 2 o'clock in the morning, Tuesday. And she was praying for her daughter and her children, but specifically her daughter, because her daughter is one of those that has gone AWOL from the faith. Made a commitment to Christ in her younger years, but has since stopped living for Christ. And she prayed while she fell asleep. She prayed that God would awaken the Holy Spirit inside of her to root out the sin in her life and call her back to God. Three o'clock in the morning, she's sound asleep and the phone rings. It was her daughter. 3 a.m. She said, I just had the worst nightmare. The nightmare that you, mom, were chasing me around the church trying to kill something in me. But I wasn't afraid. You weren't trying to hurt me. You were trying to destroy something bad inside of me. And I could see you peering over me, but feeling not hurt, but an overwhelming sense of peace. And she said, I'm confused. What's up with that? <laughs> the mom proceeded to tell her about her prayers for her since, for many, many nights, but this particular one. And the daughter was speechless. And it's amazing to see, you know, just anticipating what God's going to do with that. It may be tomorrow, it may be 10 years from now, who knows. But I have, a, I have a distinct feeling that there was a line drawn in the sand with that work of intercession. Pray in all ways, at all times, with all power, until all is accomplished for all the saints. That's what Paul exhorts us to do.